I won't pretend to try to do justice to this topic in a 20-minute podcast, but I've lots to share, so we might as well at least start the conversation. Hi there, I'm Tracy, and this is the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source of unconventional advice and inspiration for the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Is it really an art? You bet, nobody pops out of the womb with an instinct for step-parenting. It's something you practice and get better at, like anything else. And if you found this podcast, it means you're smart enough to look for someone who's been practicing the moves for a long time to stand in your corner and coach you through it. I'll share my wins, my missteps, and my analysis of what worked for my family over the last 14 years and why it could work for you too. If you like this stuff, don't forget to subscribe. And you can get more of me at EssentialStepMom.com. What's the difference between brainwashing and parental alienation? There's probably a great deal of overlap. There are lots of children who see both their parents on a regular basis, but are being quote-unquote brainwashed by one or even both of them, nevertheless. They're being told things by someone they trust completely that aren't objectively true. They might even be told things that are outrageous lies. One stepmom in my Facebook group shared with me that her stepson didn't see his dad at all for two years, during which time the boy's mother told him that his father had been in prison for murder No wonder the kid was scared to death to be alone with him when dad finally won some visitation time. How does brainwashing work? Why is it so effective and so hard to reverse? There's a term called gaslighting that you might have heard. It comes from a movie by the same name, Gaslight. The husband in the story makes his wife go crazy by presenting a sort of alternate reality to her. And eventually, she can't trust her own senses at all anymore. It's easy to gaslight kids because they already rely on adults to help them build their whole sense of reality. And just look at what's going on around all of us in the media these days. Do you actually feel that you can completely trust what you read in the news or see on TV or on social media? It's kind of like living in a fake news reality for kids who are being brainwashed. And for parents who engage in brainwashing, it can be like shooting fish in a barrel. Kids have no defenses. Once the ideas are in there, it can be really hard to get them out. It's like removing one of those fish hooks with barbs. If you're unlucky enough to swallow one of those, you can't just rip it out. It's designed to cause irreparable damage if you pull too hard on it. This is why I wanted to talk about this problem and it's why I favor a more alternative, even unconventional approach. The court system might be the correct platform for getting more visitation time, but it can't fix this problem. The one that's going on inside the child's head and heart, the one that matters most. So brainwashing is like a psychological fish hook. And here are some of the problems you have to deal with if you're going to remove it safely. Problem number one, 
All children are loyal to their parents. We're hardwired for that. Loyalty looks like regular love in a healthy family situation. It's the thing that makes kids say, my dad can run faster than your dad. It's what makes children seek the approval of their parents into middle age and beyond. Loyalty is only a problem when one of the parents is acting in a way that's harmful to the child. Kids are unexpectedly loyal to even violent, abusive parents. Talk to any policeman or family court judge. This also happens, unfortunately, in a lot of cases where parents are split or divorced. So any unbrainwashing to be successful has to happen while taking the utmost care not to damage the child's relationship with the abusive parent. I didn't say the alienating parent on purpose because I think that alienation is a problem for the absent parent. The problem for the child is emotional abuse. The more we can look at it that way, the easier it gets to untangle the feelings that present in real life, the feelings and behaviors that present in real life. You'd think that a child who finally gets a chance to see their parent after a long absence would be thrilled. They'd run up and jump into your arms and not want to let go. Most people don't get to have that experience, even if it might have happened in the child's imagination too. All humans are created from two things, a mom cell and a dad cell. All the rest comes from there. You can't find any tiny speck of yourself that doesn't contain half mom and half dad. And until you're about seven or eight years old on average, you actually identify yourself as the product, if not the property, of mom and dad. You need to love both parts of yourself to feel whole, to feel good enough. The alternative is what therapists all over the world help people work out in adulthood. Parental alienation denies a child their inherent right and obvious biological need to love both parents at the same time. And I believe that's a form of emotional abuse. A child living with such an abuser needs to maintain whatever adaptive strategies they've learned to feel safe. Many of them actually believe that their abusive but beloved parent can actually read their mind. When I've said this to the women in my Facebook group, you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard them report that their stepchild has voiced something like that or that they felt it themselves as a child. It's not a joke to believe that your own thoughts could betray you. I heard a young woman on YouTube named Yeonmi Park speak about her life in North Korea before she and her mother were finally able to escape. She recalls believing that the supreme leader, Kim Jong-un, was so powerful he could read her mind and the minds of all the other desperate citizens there. It was devastating to hear her talk about that. It might have been the part of her story that touched me the most. Imagine what that would be like. You're never safe. So for a child who believes that bio mom or bio dad, where the tables are turned, it's not only moms who do this. A, a, a child in that situation thinks, if I relax and enjoy myself here, my mom will know that I'm having fun and then she'll cry and it will be my fault. Or 
If I tell dad that I had fun at mom's house, he'll get mad at me. What do I do? I can tell you that over the years, we had some major misunderstandings when my husband's kids would try to make their mom feel better by highlighting something negative that had happened on a visit with dad. It might have been something that was little more than a tiny blip on the radar of a lovely weekend, but they had a sense that she didn't want to hear about the nice things that happened here, and they were right. The problem was that by telling her anything bad that happened here, that would just feed into her genuine fear that her kids weren't safe with their dad. And that was not a true picture of the family dynamic here at all. So problem number two is finding a way to help a child relax, to let them keep their protective strategies, whatever they are, or to help them find new ones so that they can feel safe in both households. Maybe I'll do a webinar about this. I'd love to hear from you if this is a topic close to your heart. I know how it looked in my family, but the more different situations I can learn about, the more precise I can be in the advice I can offer. So I'll remind you again, if you're interested in hearing a webinar about this, let me hear from you. Problem number three is that kids aren't playing with a full deck, at least not the full adult deck. They don't yet have the ability to believe that a parent could be someone that would ever intentionally hurt them. They can get mad at mom or dad and even shout, you're the worst mom ever, I hate you. But that's really just a healthy expression of rage, a momentary discharge of high emotion. Deep inside, they prefer to feel that mom and dad are always protecting them, that the grown-ups really do know best. They push against our rules to have the experience of being corralled, contained in a safe place. Kids would much rather believe themselves to be wrong or inadequate or weak or deficient in some way than to actually see their parent for what they really are. And it's a trauma for them when it happens. I constantly hear stepmom saying, I wish my husband's kids could see how their mom is such a liar. And I think to myself, no, you don't wish that. You don't know how painful that would be. You don't want them to yank out the fish hook. It's a terrible pain. It really is. Unbrainwashing a child is a very, very delicate operation. These kids have a, a kind of disease, an emotional disease, and you don't want the medicine to inflict more damage than the disease. Your truth is not necessarily a kinder or even a better truth for them. Let's talk for a minute about Stockholm Syndrome. You've probably heard that term. It was actually first used by the media in 1973 when four hostages were taken captive during a bank robbery in Stockholm in Sweden. After they got rescued, those four people surprisingly defended their captors and refused to testify in court against them. So the term describes a kind of psychological adaptation where someone who is kept in a constant state of fear learns to appreciate and even support their tormentor. Um, since that time, since 1973, 
professionals have expanded the definition of Stockholm Syndrome to include any relationship in which victims of abuse develop a strong, loyal attachment to the perpetrators of abuse. That's a definition that I got from a website called goodtherapy.org. And here's what goodtherapy.org has to say about the characteristics that define victims of Stockholm Syndrome. 1. Positive regard toward perpetrators of abuse or captors. 2. Failure to cooperate with police or other government authorities when it comes to holding perpetrators of abuse or kidnapping accountable. 3. Little or no effort to escape. 4. A belief in the goodness of the perpetrators or kidnappers. 5. Appeasement of captors. This is a manipulative strategy for maintaining one's safety. As victims get rewarded, perhaps with less abuse or even with life itself, their appeasing behaviors are reinforced. 6. Learned helplessness. This can be akin to, if you can't beat them, join them. As the victims fail to escape the abuse or captivity, they may start giving up and soon realize it's just easier for everyone if they acquiesce all their power to their captors. 7. Feelings of pity toward the abusers, believing they are actually victims themselves. Because of this, victims may go on a crusade or a mission to save their abuser. 8. Unwillingness to learn to detach from the perpetrators and heal. In essence, victims may tend to be less loyal to themselves than to their abuser. I wanted to read that whole list out loud because if you have a brainwashed child in your home, you probably recognize more than a few of those points. It's hard enough to help adults heal from this kind of trauma. And with kids, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, it's even more tricky. Luckily, there are some tricks, and I'm personally familiar with them. And when I say tricks, I don't mean that you're tricking the child. I mean like there's a trick to doing it. It's a combination of art and science. You arm yourself with knowledge and you apply it artfully, carefully, with a view to creating harmony and balance. We've dealt with this problem in our family and at ground zero, so to speak, it feels more like a loving intervention than a trick. It's done with a lot of respect for the suffering involved in healing from such a fundamental betrayal. The first thing you have to do is leave a lot of space for observing and listening. You have to learn to listen and listen, and then just listen. Because any time you open your mouth, you're liable to blow it. The child has to know that they can tell you anything, and you won't react with anger towards the other parent. And this requires some high-level emotional mastery on your part. And that's going to come back to all the ways I talk about that you can create and inhabit a high vibration. It's about holding a space of love and calm, even when you're actually wanting to choke someone for the sake of this little being in front of you, even if the little being is the one you'd like to choke. And that can happen because being brainwashed manifests in all kinds of behaviors. 
if we were working together on emotional mastery, I'd be coaching you through some EFT sequences. I'd be suggesting a few Bach flower remedies. I'd be all over you about using a gratitude journal or other specific journaling programs to help you process your own intense feelings as you work on supporting a brainwashed child or supporting a spouse who's doing that work. The thing that comes after taking care of your own emotional state is choosing the right words when it's time to say something. You'd actually be surprised how little you have to say besides, that must be hard for you, or I'm sorry. I remember clearly once telling a much younger friend of mine when I had been deeply disappointed by a romantic breakup. This young fellow surprised me with his maturity. After I'd blurted out my tale of woe, he simply said, I'm sorry. And that moment has stuck with me for the last 20 plus years because of how simple it was and how it was just the perfect amount of words. Besides that, the best approach is to reflect the, the child's own language back to them. That's another good reason to spend a lot of time listening. You find a way to use their own words, like a gentle mirror, to help them see the holes in their own thinking. When I'm talking to stepmoms who need to respond to the untrue and or unflattering things their stepkids have been hearing from bio mom about them, I often suggest saying, I'm sorry your mom thinks that. I hope one day when she knows me better, she'll know that's not true. It's important not to criticize the other parent to the brainwashed child. It's better to suggest that they're making an honest mistake. They haven't had the chance yet to learn the truth. You hope things will change, etc. The next thing, after choosing careful words, is to find ways for the kids to see things for themselves. For instance, if Biomom has told them that dad is a bad guy, they need to spend time with people who like him. Friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers. They need to be exposed to people who act in a friendly way with the alienated parent and who speak well of him or her. It's also great for the child to meet other divorced families that get along in a more easygoing way. They see for themselves that not all families are like their family and that there are lots of ways of coping after a breakup. This was something that was really instrumental in the unbrainwashing of one of my husband's kids. First, he observed a large number of people who like, seemed to like and even admire his dad. And then he saw that I was on friendly terms with the father of my own daughter and he finally saw in his own extended family a model of divorced family members who were so relaxed and friendly at a family gathering, it finally just shattered his tightly held belief that divorced people have to be enemies. Nobody tried to unbrainwash him. Nothing we told him would have mattered to him anyway. He saw it with his own eyes, and that was the best thing in the world. The final thing that's essential for unbrainwashing is for the child to have a sustained experience of your unwavering integrity. This is now directed at the dads, or of course, if you're in a two mom household, the mom who's the biological or adoptive parent. They have to see you in 
all your integrity all the time. That doesn't mean you're never allowed to make a mistake, but when you do, you have to own it and apologize for it. Showing your integrity to a child means doing what you say you're going to do. You have to find many small ways to do that. And you have to be emotionally available, which means not escaping from the discomfort of being with your brainwashed child to the TV or your phone or the distraction of some work. It's serious work and it will take a toll. And that's where as a stepmom, you can be of great help. You're there to put your partner back together when they've given so much of themselves to helping their suffering child. Did you know that you can learn to do calming EFT tapping for another person? And that meditators learn to send metta or loving kindness out to others in need of healing? Those are the tricks or techniques that I think help the most in my family, at least They helped me to feel like I was doing something when I felt helpless. And I always felt like I could see a good result. So, seriously, if you'd be into hearing a webinar about healing a brainwashed child, hit me up at info at essentialstepmom.com. Let me hear from you. This feels like a topic that deserves more attention. That's all for this episode. If you're enjoying this, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening. Did you know that we're being heard in 48 countries now? There are other curious, forward-thinking stepmoms like you in every corner of the world, and you can help them find us and join our community by leaving a rating or a review. That's how this podcast will pop up when they search stepmom advice. Someone did that for you, you know, so pay it forward. I also have a little Facebook tribe, which I guard against bashing like a pit bull with lipstick. It's a friendly, 100% positive place. And if that's what you've been looking for, we'd be glad to have you there. Just send a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. Personal one-on-one support is available by visiting my website, essentialstepmom.com. Thank you.